Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. And not only are you our God, but you call us your children. So Father, we thank you this morning. Thank you that you look past our faults and you saw something deeper. You saw how you can mend a relationship that we couldn't mend on our own. And so, Father, we thank you. No matter what's going on in our life, despite the distractions in life, despite the chaotic week and the issues in relationships, Father, there's one relationship that supersedes all relationships and that's our relationship with you and so father we thank you I, I love the part of that song where we just continually say thank you for being God we thank you this morning and we show up this morning to give you praise Psalm 100 tells us to enter into your gates with thanksgiving and enter into your courts with praise and so this song saying thank you thank you thank you father is us just showing gratitude because you've been that good to us and we thank you it's in Jesus name we give glory and honor amen Amen. Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord together. Uh, that Psalm 100 that I was just mentioning, it, it really says there's two ways to come into the presence of God, thankful and with the praise. Anybody thankful to be in the house of God today? Amen. Despite the snow, despite the distractions, despite the chaotic week, and those of you who are online, uh, we are grateful for you. We are glad that you are tapped in. Uh, if you're in this room, text somebody that you know that's a part of the church and tell them, wake up. I made it to church. You should at least be online with us right now. Uh, and those of you who are online, let somebody else know that we are, we're live and we're about to get into the word of God, which I'm excited about. And so, and so in fact, let's just get busy. Grab your Bibles or your devices. Uh, those of you who are at home, if you can grab something that contains the word of God and go uh, to one of the first books of the Bible, not the first book, but go to the book of First Samuel. Uh, it's toward the beginning. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and then you'll find 1 Samuel is where we're going to spend some time. Uh, as you turn there, just a quick update and quick reminder. I kind of mentioned it last week, but I um, just want to double down on it that in March, the first Sunday in March, March 6th, we are starting a brand new sermon series through the book of Daniel. Uh, amen. Anybody ever gone through Daniel in your devotional time? A few people? Uh, it's just a phenomenal book. It's so much, so much in that book, and I'm so excited to be going through it. You know, it's one of the few books uh, in the Bible that uh, the entire book takes place in a pagan culture uh, called uh, Babylon, uh, this pagan empire. And there, there's so many things that I think that are consistent with the culture in which we live in. And so the question is, how do you remain faithful and bold and consistent in your walk with the Lord and grow in your faith while being in a pagan culture. And I think the book of Daniel is going to guide us through that. You know, the Bible never calls us and God never calls us as believers to separate from the culture. Nor does he call us to assimilate deeply into the culture, but he calls us to transform it. And the way you transform it is just by being faithful. The way you transform it is just by being bold. And I think the book of Daniel is just going to, it's a phenomenal book that's really going to help us. So somebody say March 6th. If you're online, type in March 6th, Book of Daniel. You do not want to miss it. We're not doing it like we used to do our books, which is uh, go through the entire verse by verse, line by line. We're pulling out the major themes. We are hitting every chapter. So we're doing nine, a nine-week series throughout um, through the book of Daniel. And I think there's some great things in there. Very complicated book. It's written in Hebrew. 
then it switches to Aramaic, and then it switches back to Hebrew, uh, but we'll make it make sense as we go through it. Amen? Uh, also, just uh, just a reminder, I think Gabe announced that I had to run out real quick, but we are postponing our membership class. It was supposed to be today at one o'clock after our second service, but we are postponing it a couple of weeks. Uh, we realize that there are many of you that are home, uh, the non-spiritual people that couldn't shovel out, couldn't get here. I didn't even, I just kept going with it. Y'all picked it up. Uh, but we, we, wanted to be, we wanted to be mindful of the people that couldn't make it out today. So, um, so in a couple of weeks, we will do our membership class, our first membership class of the year. Um, you know, God never saved us with the intent that we would be isolated or that we would be uh, attenders of a church. I don't care if you're a great attender. He wants you deeper. He wants you connected. He wants you to be known, and he wants you to know. And so our membership classes help us to facilitate spiritual growth by really introducing you to what the community looks like. And so um, a couple weeks, our membership class, Covenant Community class, we will be doing it, but we will not be doing it today. All right, so this is what we're going to do. We're in 1 Samuel. You should go to chapter 6. Normally, I read the passage, and then I announce my topic, and then I pray. Uh, But we're literally going to do all of the chapter today. We're not going to be here all day, but there's 21 verses here. Uh, So it's a a little bit lengthy and I I don't want to read it all. So I'll I'll announce the topic and then I'll pray and then we'll we'll go from there. Uh, I'm going to preach today from the topic entitled Getting Close to a Holy God. Getting close to a holy God. Let's look to the Lord before we dig in. Father, your son tells us in John 15 that we can do nothing apart from him. And so, Father, when we consider what nothing means, that means I can't preach without Jesus being present. We can't hear without Jesus being present. So, Father, may you connect us deeply to your spirit as we dig into your word. Pray that Jesus would be seen, heard, and felt as we dig into this text. May this gathering be in vain if we don't talk about Jesus, but may we run to the cross where we find life and liberty and justice and mercy and grace and all of it is it, it, it all collides at the cross. And so, Father, may we get to the cross today in this Old Testament passage. It's in the beautiful and miraculous name of Jesus that we give glory. Amen. Getting close to a holy God. Uh, in seminary, I had once had a class that uh, specifically focused on uh, like character studies of biblical figures. So what we would do is we pick a book or we pick a person and we track their movement throughout the scriptures or we track their movement throughout that book or their movement throughout a specific uh, series or, or, or passage, I should say. And whenever we did that, we, we typically had to identify if the character, the biblical character, was a main character or, or like a supporting character. Like were, they, were they the main thing? Like if you took them out of that, that, that passage or that story or the Bible, would, would the whole thing fall apart? Or were they just like a character that was like kind of passing through, didn't have a main part? In fact, the literary uh, term that we would use is a flat character versus a round character. So we'd identify a biblical character and we'd say, is he a flat character? Is he one dimensional? Is he not? Is he somebody that is not really a complex figure? Is he somebody that's just kind of passing through? We can move on the story without him or without her. And then there's round characters. Round characters are different. They're they're very complex. There's a lot of depth to them. They're typically showing up a bunch of times in a passage or they're typically showing up a bunch of times throughout scriptures. And, you know, when I consider 
the book of 1 Samuel. And I don't know if you've ever read through uh, 1 Samuel just like in one sitting. Just read the whole thing. If you got uh, some time, a couple of hours, it, it, will, it will certainly benefit your spiritual growth. But when you read through all 31 chapters, there's some main characters, man. There are some characters that are introduced in the book of, uh, a book of Samuel that I would say are, are, are historic figures, but also pivotal people in the life of Israel. Samuel will be one of them. I mean, the book is named after him. He, he's a main character in this book. The prophet Samuel is um, a big deal because not only is he uh, the prophet that is in Israel, but he is the first one to anoint King Saul to be, de- uh, to be king. And he's the first one to anoint David to be king, but Samuel is not the only one in this book. His mother Hannah is mentioned in this book. Hannah's a big deal as well. She was a woman of prayer, a woman that devoted her life to the Lord, a woman that didn't just devote her life, but took Samuel, her son, and devoted him to the life of ministry and and dedicated him to the Lord. Hannah is mentioned in this book. King Saul, we get mentioned to him for the first time in this book. He's Israel's first king. King David is mentioned in this book. He's Israel's second king, and yeah, he had some scandals, and he had some issues, but the Bible tells us, in fact, we get the the term, a man after God's own heart. We get that because of the book of 1 Samuel. Eli is mentioned in this book. He's the priest of Israel, the person who um, anointed uh, uh, Hannah, and the the person who really helped Samuel to grow in his spiritual giftings. All of these characters are mentioned throughout the book. And here's what's interesting. When you read chapter six, not one of them are mentioned in chapter six. You don't get any mention in chapter six of Hannah. Samuel is not mentioned in chapter six. Eli the priest is not mentioned in chapter six. Neither one of the kings, King Saul nor King David, is mentioned in this chapter. And here's what I love about none of them being mentioned. If none of them are mentioned, who's the main character? Who's the round character in this chapter? Here it is. God is. God is the main character in chapter six. And I think that that really is. That should help us understand the Bible overall. That should help you to understand your life. God is always the main character. Yeah, we might be introduced to a bunch of people throughout scripture and you might be introduced to a bunch of people in your life. But please don't ever get it twisted. God always gets the Oscar for main character. And we're always supporting actors. God is always the the Bible is not a book about humans. Yes, there are humans in here, some great kings and uh, some some people that are notable. But at the end of the day, the Bible is always pointing us to something greater. It is a book about God. And the question that I want to lay on the table that we're going to work through in our short amount of time together today is. How does flawed humans interact with this big and massive God? No, bump that. Let me say that differently. How do flawed humans interact with this big, massive, and don't miss this word, holy God? If you're writing notes, if you're home, and this is one of those moments you're taking notes, don't miss this. The God that is in chapter 6 of 1 Samuel is big, is massive, but he is holy. Somebody say holy. Holy. Come on, say a little bit better than that. Say holy. holy. He is set apart. He is different. The way, Paul, the way Paul would describe him in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 16 is God is immortal. He dwells in unapproachable light to whom no one has ever seen, or oh, I love this, or can see. Yet that the God of the text is a holy God that nobody can be in his presence, but he's so holy that you can't even look at his presence and live. That's how, how holy 
the God that we serve is. And so some context for chapter six, that there's a box that is mentioned in this, in this book. If you have any type of background, uh, those of you at home, if you, if you know anything about scripture, you've heard about this box before. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. Anybody ever heard about the Ark of the Covenant? This, this, this is a box that if you don't know about it, it's a box that's made of acacia wood and it's overlaid with gold. And inside of it was, was a golden jar of manna because God told them to keep it because they, he wanted to preserve it because he wanted to, he wanted to make sure that other generations knew about the work that he did. And so there's a gold jar of manna that's inside this box. Aaron's staff is inside of the box, the, the Ark of the Covenant. The Ten uh, Commandments that are written on tablets and stones are put inside of this box. There are a bunch of holy items that are in this box. And not only that, this box uh, is supposed to be uh, located in the most holiest part of the temple. In the temple, it's made up of different courts. There, there was a court of Gentiles, the court of women, then there was a court of Israel. And the most inner part was the Holy of Holies. That is where you would house this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. In, in many ways, the Ark of the Covenant was the visible manifestation of the presence of God. I don't know if that makes sense. The Ark of the Covenant, we couldn't see God. You, you couldn't. The Bible gives us some anthropomorphic language, his hands, his eyes. But at the end of the day, we don't know what the Bible tells us. He's invisible. So this box, this Ark of the Covenant was the visible manifestation of a holy God, of, a, of, of the presence of a holy God, and it is in this chapter where the Bible tells us that the Philistines have overtaken Israel. And when they overtook Israel, I'm just laying context. When they overtook Israel, they stole and took this box, the Ark of the Covenant. The problem with taking the Ark of the Covenant, it was never supposed to be around the Philistines. And so the Philistines are under some great, great, great spiritual warfare. God has put his thumb on the Philistines. They are breaking out in diseases. Everybody is getting sick and everybody is getting sick because they have taken this thing called the Ark of the Covenant, a.k.a. the visible manifestation of a holy God. And so now we're in this chapter, and I'm about to read a little bit. Now that we're in this chapter, here's what Philistine is doing. They're going, this box is causing us problems. This thing has got us all sick. Our kids are sick. Our, our spouses are sick. Uh, we're, all, we're all dying of diseases, and we're all dying of diseases because we are containing, we are holding the holy presence of God. And so here's what they do. They say, we got to get rid of this thing. They almost pull that you ain't got to go, but you got to get out of here. This, this thing got to go somewhere. And so watch what they do. They set out a plan to get rid of the Ark of the Covenant. Pick me up in verse one. Y'all still with me? I just want to lay that foundation. Verse number one, the Ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines for seven months. And the Philistines called for the priest and for the uh, diviners uh, and said, what shall we do with the Ark of the Lord? Tell us. With what shall we send it to its place? They said, if you send away the ark of God, uh, uh, the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return him a guilt offering that you will be healed. That means they're sick. And, will, and it will be known to you why his hand does not return away from you. In other words, the, the, the Philistines have the Ark of the Covenant, the visible manifestation of the presence of God for seven months. And now that they have it for seven months, they're trying to get rid of the sickness and disease. So they're like, we got to get this thing out of here. Please note, 
that the first response that the Philistines have when dealing with the holiness of God is to push it away. That's the first response that the Philistines have is they don't want this thing. They don't want the presence of God. And so it is so interesting that they're all sick and they don't call the doctors. They're all sick and they don't call the healers. They don't call the herbal care specialists. They're all sick and they know they recognize that their main issue is a spiritual one. They said, we got to call the priest. We got to call the, 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 the diviners. We got to call the people that are more spiritual so that they can help us to understand what are we to do with the holiness of God. And here's what I, I know about people. Whenever we are met with our sin, the first thing we do with the holiness of God is push it away. Don't, don't miss this. Those who are afraid of the holiness of God, push it away. You guys are quiet in this room, and so maybe I'm talking to somebody that is online. I don't know your story, uh, but many of us push God away when we feel like we can't live up to his standard. Many of us push God away when we feel like we can't live up to his holiness. Many of us push God away when we are met with our sin. Many of us push God away when we feel like we can't uh, 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 walk in obedience to this holy God. And yes, you, yes, we serve a holy God and no, you are not holy. But built into the, the, to the relationship between you and God is this mechanism called mercy and grace. And mercy and grace allow a sinner like you to be in the presence of God. God never saved you with the intent that you would not fall. God never saved you with the intent that you wouldn't make a mistake. But a holy God knows how to dwell amongst people. Oh, I forgot to tell you, Josh. On this, on this Ark of the Covenant is this uh, seat called the mercy seat. The, the mercy seat is, 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 a, is a beautiful term in Hebrew. It literally means to cover, to appease, to cleanse, or make an atonement. In other words, God knew that we was going to make a mistake. And so the Bible tells us that he puts in between him and us mercy. And that he puts in between him and us this thing called grace. And as you are going through this life and you're going through what they call deep term sanctification process, the journey towards spiritual growth, you will fall Give yourself grace. Don't stay there. Don't, 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 don't beat yourself up. But you should never allow it to cause you to go into shame. You serve a God that loves you and welcomes you and wants you. So the holiness of God right now, they're like, we can't, we can't deal with this, 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 this box. We can't deal with God's holiness. Let's send this thing away. Let's push it away. And many people in the Bible have experienced the holiness of God and pushed it away. Let me say it another way. Many people have experienced the holiness of God in Scripture and were met with their sin. Think about Isaiah. Isaiah 6, the Bible says that the, day, the, the year King Uzziah died, that he's in the presence of God and the, the, the train of his robe fills the temple and there's angels flying around and they're just singing holy, holy, holy. And the Bible says that Isaiah falls to his knees and says, I am a sinful man, a man of unclean lips. When he got in the presence of holiness, he understood his sin. Ah, oh, man. Same thing happens with Peter. The Bible says that Peter is on a boat and Peter is fishing and he toils all night and he catches nothing. Jesus says, cast your net to the other side. He, he's like, master, we've toiled all night and we've caught nothing, but nevertheless, we'll let it down. He lets it down. He catches this, uh, this great catch of fish and he knew that he was in the presence of God in the flesh. The Bible says that Peter falls to his knees and he says, depart from me. For I am a sinful man. Whenever you meet the holiness of God, you're always met with your own dysfunction. 
And you have one or two options in that moment. Whenever you understand the perfect beauty of God and it shows you the, the wickedness of our hearts, you can either push him away like the Philistines or we can run towards them. This is a consistent response, not just in scripture, this pushing away. But I would say in this room and those of you who are online, there are many of us that have experienced God's holiness. and We're like, I, can't, I don't want that. That's that's too much. I got to push that away. Many of us are like Peter. We're going, depart from me. I'm a, a sinful man. And yes, you are, but we serve a loving God. But watch how strategic God is. The Philistines are saying, get rid of this, this Ark of the Covenant. Get rid of the presence of God. And so what they do is they create this plan to get rid of it. But in the plan, it shows us how strategic and providential God is. Look at verse 7. Y'all still with me? Verse 7, it says, now they made a plan, they, they, the priest came, they said, all right, get rid of it. But when you get rid of it, don't send it empty-handed. Handed. Put inside of it some sacrifices and, and then send it on its way. But watch this plan that they create because they're putting God to the test here. It says, verse 7, now then, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there has never come a yoke and yoke the cows to the cart. But take their calves home away from them and take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart and put in a box at its side a figures of gold, which you are returning to him as a guilt offering. Then send it off and let it go on its way and watch if it goes up the way to its own land, which is Israel, to Beth Shemesh, which is Israel. It says, then it is he who has done this great harm, but if not, then we shall know that it is not the hand, not his hand that has struck us, but happened to us by coincidence. The men did so. They took the two milk cows and they yoked them. Then they sent the cart and shut up uh, the calves at home. Verse 11, and they put the ark of the Lord on the cart and the box with the golden mice and the images of tumors, that, that, the, 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 their tumor, their, that's their, their, their sacrifices that they're giving to the Lord, which he didn't ask for. Verse 12, and the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh, a.k.a. Israel. Along a, a, a a, one highway, it says, lowing as they went, they turned neither to the right nor the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Let me make sense of what is happening here. They said, we got to get rid of the ark. So this is what we're going to do. Take two cows and yoke them together, but not just any cows. Let's make this hard for the cows. Take two cows that have never been yoked together. In other words, take two cows that have not been trained on pulling the cart. I want you to go deeper. Take their calves away from them. And when you take their calves, put them in their homes or put them in their barns. And then I want you to put the ark on and send it on its way. If it goes to the place where it's supposed to go, which is Israel, we know it's the Lord that caused this sickness upon us. If it does not turn to the right or the left, but go straight through, then we know it's the Lord. They're, they're trying to figure out if this is God or not. And they're also trying to return the ark. And there's a couple of things that are happening here. Using two cows that have never been yoked together, they should, they should do one or two things. Not move, because they, they don't know to pull the cart. They, they've never been trained. Or if they do move, they should go the opposite ways. Let's make it harder. 
If they do move, take their calves. So they'll go the direction of wherever their babies are. This ark should have never made it back to Beth Shemesh, a.k.a. Israel. But watch how God leads and guides them. Verse 12 says, and the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh. It says, along one highway, lowing they went. They didn't even turn to the right nor the left. Don't miss your shouting moment here. God knows how to lead his creation, and he's getting this Ark of the Covenant back to the place where it is supposed to be, back in Israel. And he does it despite the distractions. These cows should have went to the right. These cows should have went to the left. These cows should have never moved forward. Or if they did move forward, they should have went to their babies. But the Bible says that God leads them right back to Israel. If you're, if you're scratching your head and you're, and you're, you're in here, you're going, oh, man, this is a hard year. And I, you know, I don't know which way to go. If God knows how to lead some cows, don't tell me he don't know how to lead you. Somebody in here is trying to make a decision. And you, you don't know whether to go to the right or the left. If God knows how to lead these cows, and that's been my prayer all 2022, God lead us. God, would you guide me? Would you remove the distractions? Would you help me not to look to the right or the left? But Lord, Lord, whatever's on my plate, would you help me to be faithful? God, whatever you have set before me, would you help me to be faithful? Somebody say, God, lead me. I know it's not a lot of people in here, but you look at your neighbor and say, God, lead him. Say, God, lead her. Come on, online, I just need you to type that. God, lead me. Because somebody is trying to figure out next steps. Be encouraged. God leads his creation. Somebody's trying to be aligned to the very will of God. Be encouraged because God leads his creation. Somebody's trying to understand their purpose in life. Be encouraged because God leads his creation. If God can lead these cows straight back. Look at your name and say, God's got me. He, he got you. If he knows how to take these cows and lead them right back to Israel, he got you. I was going to wait to the end and pray. I wanted to pray for somebody that, that needed help uh, with leading and guiding and understanding the direction. But I love to pray right now in the middle of the sermon. Is that all right? Father, I want to pray for everybody that is in this room right now. I, I, I know that there are people that are wrestling with ideas. Some stuff is gray. Father, make it black and white. Somebody at home right now is trying to understand your purpose and understand your design for them. Father, would you make it clear to them right now? If you can lead some cows, we know that you can lead us. And so we trust you. We depend on you. We believe that you are going to lead us, even if we've been in a season of gray for a long time, Father, I believe this year you're going to crystallize the areas that are confusing because we know that you can do it because we're looking at cows and how you did it with them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Who would have thought that God would use two cows to help you understand how he leads you? Who would have thought that? Who would have thought that God would use these two animals that later on they're going to sacrifice them? They're not even going to live. That he would use the cows in order to help us to understand his providential work in our life. I don't understand it. I don't often understand the direction. Sometimes, it's, sometimes I got to wait. Sometimes he takes me a far away. He takes a detour. But nevertheless, if you follow him, he always leads you where you need to go. He leads these cows. The Bible says they don't go to their calves. They don't stand still. They don't go in opposite directions, untrained, but they're trained by a God that created them. They walk right back into Israel. 
So the Philistines clearly don't want the ark. The Philistines don't want the holiness of God. And so they send it. God gets it back to Israel. What does Israel do when they get the ark? Let's get back in the text. I hope this is helping somebody. Verse 13. Verse 13. Watch what Israel does when they get the ark. It says, now the people of Beth Shemesh uh, were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, don't miss this. They rejoiced to see it. The cart came into the field of Joshua at Beth Shemesh and he stopped there. A great stone was there and they split the wood of the cart and they offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark, which is what was supposed to happen. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord uh, and the and the box that was beside it in which uh, were the golden figures. They set them upon the great stone and the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrifices, a uh, sacrifice sacrifices on that day to the Lord. Jump down to verse uh, 19. And he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them and the people mourned and the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Don't miss this. The Philistines are like, we don't want it. Get rid of it. They put it on two, two, two cows. The cows take it right back in the direction and get it. Finally, it's back in Israel. And then the Bible says that it, it enters this land where Joshua's land and they take the wood and they break the wood apart and they start making a fire with the wood and then they sacrifice the animals, and they are filled with excitement. Did you notice that it said that they rejoice to see it? This is a busy season. This is the season that they're in the valley and they're collecting the wheat. This is harvest time. They're, they're busy, but they stop because the presence of God is coming back into Israel. What's crazy is you would think that they would rejoice for the rest of the chapter. The rejoicing stops at verse 19. They rejoice when they saw it. But the Bible says in verse 19 that because 70 men looked into the ark, that they died. I, I forgot. I forgot to re-mention the, the, the title, getting close to a holy God. How do you get close to a holy God when you can't even look at the ark? These men couldn't. We're talking about the very holiness of our God. They couldn't even look inside of the ark because they looked at the ark. And the Bible says that they died. Let me point you back to the first point I made that you can't look at a holy God. You know who tried it? Chris, Moses tried it. You ever remember in, in, in Exodus 33, the Bible says that Moses has a conversation with God. You know, him and God was like this. He says to God, literally says this to God, show me your face. God says, can't nobody see me and live? The Bible says he puts him into the cleft of a, uh, the cut of a rock and he puts his hand over him and he lets him see his aftermath. God is too holy for our unclean eyes. Okay, that didn't get you. You know, he does this again in Exodus 19, where the Bible says that Moses is on Mount Sinai. And when he's on Mount Sinai, God tells him to stop what he's doing. Go back down and warn the people because the people are trying to get close to look at me. And then he goes on to say, and many of them are going to perish if they look at me. In other words, God cannot be looked at. And, and when I'm reading this, I'm going, God, this is a setup. Seventy men die. They went from rejoicing to mourning like that. Why? Because they played with the holiness of God. 
they looked inside of the Ark of the Covenant. It almost makes me feel like, well, we have no hope. That's why I asked in the beginning, how does sinful man interact with the holy God? How, how, how are we supposed to interact with this God that dwells in unapproachable light? How are we supposed to interact with this God that does not allow sinners and sin in his presence? How are we supposed to operate with this God? Well, guess what? Israel asked the same thing. In verse 20, they asked the same exact question. Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? If you're... If you're um, if you read the Bible on your own outside of Sunday morning, which I deeply encourage everybody, those of you who are online, make sure you have a devotional life. Please understand something. When you're reading the Old Testament, you need to read the Old Testament with the, through the lens of the New Testament. Does that make sense? The best commentary for the Old Testament is the New Testament. And so the question that's asked in the Old Testament is, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? The New Testament picks it up and answers, Jesus is able to. Because what Jesus does, the Philistines don't want the holiness of God. The, the Israelites aren't worthy to even look inside the, pre, the visible manifestation of the presence of God. But guess what? Jesus absorbs the very holy wrath of God. And he breaks down this barrier. Those who trust in him are now able to be inside of the presence of a holy God, even though none of us are worthy. Many of us are like the Philistines. We're not worthy of it. Many of us are like the Israelites, not able to look into it. But when we are met with the blood, when the blood is smeared on your life, you are able to not just enter into his presence, but mosey on in without an appointment. Can you? He says, come boldly before the throne of grace. He, he invites you to be in his presence. But if you look in the Old Testament, sometimes we don't understand how holy God is. When you look in the Old Testament, we're like, wait, God, you are so holy. People couldn't even be in your presence. But you and I are able to be in his presence. The Philistines were plagued with sickness because of the holiness of God. The Israelites were struck down because of the holiness of God. But you and I that have trusted in Jesus get to stand with full confidence in the presence. And here's the crazy thing. Some of you are going, I ain't ever going to be in his presence. That's just too much. That's too, it's risky for me. Here's the reality. Every one of us got a divine appointment to stand in the presence of God. There's no rock you can hide behind. There's no cave you can go into. You can build a bunker as deep as the core of the earth. Everywhere you go, at some point, every one of us have this divine appointment to stand in the presence of the holy God. This question, who can stand in your presence? Let me give you another answer. You can if you've trusted in Jesus. If, if you've put your faith in Jesus. See, this is why I'm afraid of anybody that's going to stand before God and based on their own merit. You, you'll get what the 70 men in this text got. But guess what? If you go into the presence of God and you shut your mouth and point to, he did the work for me. You point to Jesus Christ. He don't only welcome you. He said, come on in. Well done, not good and faithful. Come on in. It's a party going on. I hope D-Nice is saved because I need him in there on the ones and twos. I got this picture in heaven that it's a party and he's on the, he's DJing and we do an electric slide around the throne of our God and worshiping our God and praising and dancing around the throne of our God. It's going to be a party and you get invited in if you've trusted in Jesus. Seventy men died for looking in because they looked in. Oh, I forgot to tell you one more thing. You know, I was telling you in the Old Testament, it, it keeps saying 
Jesus like, God is like, can't nobody see me and live? Paul picks it up in 1 Corinthians 13 and 12 and says something interesting about seeing God. He says, for now we see in a, a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Do you understand what Paul just said? That those of us who have trusted in Jesus, the Old Testament said you can't see him and live. You trust in Jesus. He says you get to heaven, you face to face with him. You get to gaze upon the holiness of God and worship God. Not for a little bit. The party don't ever stop. It don't, it don't ever end. It's just a party after the after party after the after party. After, we just keep worshiping Jesus. And here's what the Bible says, that you get to do it face to face. Okay, Pastor B, I hear you. What, what do you want me to do with this, this holiness of God? What, what do you want me to do with this? Number one, please uh, take notes. Number one. Don't run from his presence. I know you'll be met with your sin. Many men were. M many women are met with their sin. But I want you to run to him with that because he welcomes it. He welcomes it because the cross worked. But the second thing I want you to do with this holiness of God, Peter later on will say in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, be holy because your God is holy. His holiness should impact your behavior. His holiness should impact my discipline. His holiness should impact my, the way I live. I should strive to live for him. Why? Because he's holy. I, what would it look like if all of us in this room and all of you online, what would it look like if we lived our life and strive to be as holy as God? You'll never attain it. But what if we lived our life and strive for this holiness, strive for purity in all of our all aspects of life? And strive when nobody's looking, because it's easy to be holy when everybody's looking. Today, you look real holy. You, you traveled out in the snow. You dug out. You look real holy today. But he, Josh said that's a fact. But, but, but here's the reality. Here's the reality. I heard it, Josh. Here's the reality. Even though you look holy, can you be holy when you actually could get away with the sin? Can you maintain purity when nobody else is know? If nobody else knows, if, can, can you maintain that holiness? Holiness at all cost. And we don't use this terminology no more. When I grew up, we got a holiness sermon every other week. Hell, a hell sermon and then a holiness sermon every other week. They scared us. They, they made you want to live right. But the reality is we serve a God that actually does desire that you would. That's why Peter says it. Be holy because God is holy. There's an animal in, I'll end with this story. Josh, you can play something soft. There, there's an animal uh, in the northeastern part of Europe in some parts of Asia. This animal is called an ermine. It looks like a mink. It's, it's, it has white fur, like bright white fur. And, and it's white fur, it, it, it instinctively protects the white coat of fur, and it does it at all costs. It doesn't want its fur to get soiled in any way. And so what hunters do when they want to hunt this animal and, 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 and take it for its fur, they don't set traps to catch this animal. You know what they do? They go to wherever its home is. Typically, it's inside of a hollow tree or it's inside of a, a rock that it can dig into or it can get inside of. And they go to wherever its home is and they put paint on it. They paint the outside. They paint the interior. And then they let dogs loose. This is how they hunt. And when they let the dogs loose, the ermine knows that the dogs are hunting it, so it runs back to its home. But when it gets back to its home, it sees all of the paint, and it doesn't go in. 
it actually gives up its life. The ermine will allow the dogs to capture it and kill it instead of going in and messing up its purity. Oh, man, you're missing this. You're, you're, you're missing this. For the ermine, purity is more precious than life. P -p purity at all costs. Somebody say purity at all costs. No matter what it takes, what would it look like to, to try to maintain and strive for the holiness that Peter is talking about? Be holy because God is holy. The ermine will not stain its fur. It'll give up its life before it stains its fur. Is that anybody's testimony? If you're met with temptation and you're met with sin, you're like, I'll die before I do that. I'll give up my life in order to maintain purity because I want to look more like Jesus. Somebody in here has been struggling. Somebody online has been struggling. You've been struggling with holiness and you've been struggling with trying to, you know, trying to live right. And that relationship kind of got you, got you, got you sideways. You know, the temptations of life got you messed up. Somebody in here or online is in, in a secret sin that nobody knows about. But here's the thing. All of it's laid bare before a holy God. And God, God don't want to fight you today. If God wanted to take you out because of that sin, you would have already been gone. You're alive today because of grace. You're alive today because of mercy. And today he wants to give you another chance. No altar calls, nothing deep. I believe all of us are on the altar because all of us are wrestling in this area of sanctification, of holiness. All of us. So I want to pray for all of us and those of you who are online right now. Father, I thank you, oh God, for your holiness. The Philistines pushed it away. Israelites were afraid of it. Not just here, but many times in Scripture, the Israelites are afraid of this thing called the ark because it's, it's, it's your visible manifestation of your presence and they're afraid of it. And so, Father, many of us have pushed you away because we are met with this idea that we are unclean. But, Father, may it help us to run to the cross where, Father, you clean us up through your son, Jesus. Will you fix the issues through Jesus? Will you, will you help us with our dysfunction through Jesus? And what I love about our faith in Jesus is the moment, the moment, the moment we trust in you, we are empowered with the presence of the Holy Spirit. You live in us. And so, Father, now that you live in us, we now have the fruits of the Spirit. We got love now because of the Holy Spirit. We got joy now because of the Holy Spirit. We got, we, we got this idea of self-control because of the Holy Spirit. May we operate the way you've intended believers to operate. And yes, Lord, we will fall. Some of, some of us will walk out of here, we'll fall today. But let that not be the thing that detours us from your relationship. It's, it's always faithful on your end. But the one thing I can count on is unfaithfulness with us, inconsistencies with us. And so, Father, help us to be gracious. On this ark is the mercy seat. You give us mercy. You give us grace today. And when we, we need it. We need it, God, because we are often prone to wander from your presence and push you away. So, Father, help us not to push you today, but help us to draw near deeply in your presence. It's in the name of a holy God that we pray. Amen.